Hello, movie fans. This is Real Old Reels Classic Movie Club, our very first episode. We are your hosts, Robin. And Lisa. We're sisters who grew up with a steady diet of the classics, and we wanted to share the fun with all of you. In fact, we watched classic movies growing up probably just as much as we watched new movies. And I even remember our dad had this book that he would go through, and it was a bunch of recommendations for classic movies and we would check them off when we watched them do you remember that book I had forgotten it but I remember it now and there were a lot of of ones that weren't quite worth watching but but he did annotate in the margins which ones were good and which ones were bad <laughs> so we don't have to go and back through super helpful <laughs> yeah some of the movies really didn't age well I did go back and look through the book a little bit and watch some with my kids and yeah, some of the jokes didn't land quite the way that they um, they did back then. I mean, partly because we're older, uh, but also a little bit of social morals have changed, I guess, over time. Right. <laughs> but still, we love them. Some of them have even gotten better with age, I would say. Yeah, this week's movie actually is Hitchcock's Strangers on a Train, which I do remember watching as a kid. Do you remember watching it? I actually don't. It was probably one of those ones that I started and then fell asleep through. <laughs> yeah, there were definitely some of those. Uh, it's it's not one of his more well-known films, such as, what are some of his more well-known Hitchcock films? Um, the first one that comes to mind is Psycho, for sure, and then also Birds. Yeah, we did watch those, and... Although I think we watched Psycho much, <laughs> I, watched, I watched that one much later on. And those movies were made a little bit after Strangers on a Train. That one was made somewhat in the middle of his career. He had a super long film career. It was, it spanned many years before Strangers on a Train and many years afterwards. Most of his stuff that we know of and love is probably done after Strangers on a Train. And yeah are much more recognizable to us. Why don't we talk about what the movie's even about, and then we'll talk about kind of the background of the story. Listen, it's so simple, too. Two fellows meet accidentally, like you and me. No connection between them at all. Never saw each other before. Each one has somebody that he'd like to get rid of. So, they swap murders. So Strangers on a Train is... A movie about two men who meet on a train by happenstance. One of the guys proposes that they commit murder for each other because they both have people in their lives that they would like to get rid of. The other guy doesn't condone this at all, but there's something lost in translation. And the one who uh, proposes the murders originally, he actually carries out the murder for this other guy. And then continues to pester and essentially blackmail him until eventually it comes to the head comes to a head at the end and chaos ensues and there's a huge climax at the end. Yes, a very Hitchcock Hitchcockian climax with a disaster and cop shot shooting into crowds and uh, a lot of atmosphere. Hitchcock was the king of making creepy atmosphere. For example, your wife, my father, crisscross. 
So yeah. just some background about the movie because there is an interesting little there are there's some interesting trivia bits about Strangers on a Train. It was based on a book by a lady named Patricia Highsmith. And she wasn't a super well-known author at the time. And so Hitchcock decided that he would purchase the rights under a pseudonym to do the movie adaptation. And he got it pretty dirt cheap, which Patricia Highsmith was not super excited about when she found out that it was Alfred Hitchcock, a pretty well-known director who had swindled her a bit. Lowballed her. (laughs) But... Hitchcock was very excited about the movie, even though he didn't want to pay much for it. He he apparently took the story home and storyboarded it immediately and had a very clear vision of what he wanted it to look like and maybe even sound like on, on some level. But he couldn't get anybody to write the script for him because nobody thought it was an interesting story. They thought, you know, what a what an interesting scenario, but maybe like a whole film. Nobody could really see that the way that Hitchcock could. So he tried and tried to get someone to write. Finally, someone who just wanted the street cred for working with Hitchcock decided, okay, I will write the script. Uh, Raymond Chandler, he took on the project, but it was pretty iffy, pretty tense from the get-go. And towards the end of their working relationship, it was a screaming match. Insults, cuss words, and just anger on both sides ended up Raymond Chandler getting fired from the project but his assistant took on the project and was a lot more workable with what Hitchcock wanted and what his vision was she only took little bits and pieces what was already written but most of it was scrapped and actually she pretty much wrote the whole thing but she's only credited her name is Chenzi Ormond and basically she's only she's given a kind of partial credit on the screenwriting which I think is too bad because she was unknown at the time but yeah it made her career take off anyway too bad for her that she doesn't get full credit when she really should have but yeah right it's she ended up being a really great fit though because she worked with Hitchcock who was not so much script heavy not so much the words that were going on he was very much into the looks, which you can tell from most Hitchcock movies. They're iconic. The scenes are mm-hmm. iconic. They may not make a lot of sense all the time, or they seem a little bit overdramatic, but that's that's what you see Hitchcock film for anyway, right? Right. <laughs> so yeah, let's talk about our three favorite scenes. I, right off the bat... Hitchcock usually makes a big statement and my favorite is the opening scene and we'll take turns. I'll go with mine and then, then you can take a turn and we'll discuss them. But the opening scene is my favorite because it's one of my favorites because it is so good at building a character and building the story right from the get go. There's these two characters that meet by chance and you can tell one of them's a regular guy and the other one is a bit of a dandy just from the shots, the beginning shots of the film of their shoes. Mm. And and Bruno, oh my goodness, Bruno is such a, he he gives off creepy vibes right from the beginning, right? Yeah, yeah. He is like, he's just a little too friendly. (laughs) Yeah, knows a little bit too much about Guy and Guy's very much, oh, I'm going, he's a celebrity, he's like a very minor celebrity, but- Mm-hmm. but Bruno knows everything every private detail about him 
and tries right. to lure him into a conversation, lure him into having lunch with him. <laughs> yeah, which also he doesn't even seem like the type of guy that's really into sports. <laughs> but, right. but Guy is a tennis player. He's a professional tennis player and Bruno seems to know everything about him. Yeah, and apparently about even his uh, nasty divorce from his wife and he knows that she's not she she I don't know how much she knows I can't remember how much she knows about um her personally but he knows that guy is really frustrated with the situation because that's when he suggests that oh I will murder her for you (laughs) really getting a clear picture of how guy really feels about her I mean he's obviously frustrated with her but is he sure that he wants to murder her obviously not because he doesn't (laughs) But that does not seem to, he's very, he's very interested in the idea of murder and talks with Guy pretty much the whole time about wanting to murder his father as well, who apparently wants him to work and not lounge about in his silk PJs all the time. Yeah. <laughs> this is a terrible dad. Dad, don't mean. <laughs> oh, great opening scene right off the bat. What is your favorite scene? Um, well, I, I did like that one as well. Um, I thought that, that, um, the, the dialogue was pretty clever introducing, um, both of the characters without being too obvious. It's not like, oh, I'm so-and-so from so-and-so. It was, it worked it in really nicely. I, I felt, um, and like you said, with the shoes, like you got a sense of who these people were without a whole lot. Uh, even before the dialogue started you kind of got a sense of who these people were but my other favorite scene was was the end scene I well it was action-packed and it was also just a little bit a tad bit ridiculous how action-packed it was but like you said before like we have a policeman shooting into a crowd and not even shooting into like a a crowd but shooting in into a, a moving carousel which of course he ends up uh, killing the carousel operator and the operator falls on the on the lever that makes it start going into really fast speed fast <laughs> <laughs> really really fast and it's just interesting that there's even a lever to make it go that fast yeah. but <laughs> it was a very like nerve-wracking scene but also just interesting interesting to watch yeah what is interesting about that scene on top of it being action packed and a little bit dramatic maybe <laughs> and ridiculous is the carousel moving super fast and the actor going underneath it to try to stop it is an actual scene there weren't any special effects it was an actually dangerous situation that Alfred Hitchcock later said I will never do anything that dangerous again he acknowledged how incredibly uh maybe lax he was with safety on that scene he's like the tom cruise of the black and white era (laughs) that one old guy (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i'm glad he learned his lesson because yeah that seems like it would be an extremely scary stunt to pull off especially in the end when you think about the carousel like rocking back and forth uh i don't know how much of that was a possibility when the guy was under, well yeah there was a kid on the carousel too <laughs> yeah yeah it was a pretty gutsy scene for sure 
Another scene that I like that is has a lot of iconic bits in it. If you look up, if you look up the um, strangers on a train, you'll see this one being played out a bit is the strangling scene of Miriam, which is Guy's wife. And that's one of my favorite scenes because it builds the tension so well. It Guy or Bruno is so creepy, kind of in the shadows for a while, following Miriam around. And then he becomes a little bit less worried about her seeing him to the point where he shows up at her elbow at some points and she sees him and she's like, oh, hey, what's up? He is constantly following her on a date with two other guys. Mm -hmm. She's not really put off by it. Instead, she's more intrigued. Like, this is a guy who's really into me and I've got two dates that are are my actual dates, but I've got this other, this man of mystery who can't leave me alone. How exciting. And so Mm -hmm. finds her alone at one point and strangles her. Is your name Miriam? The interesting shot in this scene is the strangling scene. The strangling is played out in the reflection of her glasses that fall to the ground. Yeah, very artistically done. Yes. And it is kind of interesting that uh, I wanted you to talk about this too, um, how she's on a date with two guys already married and pregnant at the same time. Seems a bit overkill for an evening. (laughs) Right, right. Well, and we know that Hitchcock is the king of Easter eggs. And one of the things that he has throughout playing throughout the whole movie are is the idea of doubles and doppelgangers and so the point of her having two dates is that um that's two and then her having glasses is double vision her looking like uh barbara later on is also another doppelganger doubles thing as well and um bruno i guess is supposed to represent um the evil side of guy like his not necessarily like what he would do not necessarily what he does do but um what he wishes to do what the bad side (laughs) right yeah yeah he's like almost like an evil twin or something but um yeah yeah, he represents that yeah it's so interesting I didn't notice that about the dates before it's it's like doubles and reflections and opposites and all these double things playing out. And it is interesting now that you mention it, the reflection in the glasses is another yeah. reference to that, a reflection, right? Yeah. My Very Hitchcockian. It's so loaded. Um, another <laughs> scene that I like, this is my third scene and I know you had your two favorites. So I'm just going to continue with my third favorite is the party scene when Bruno's kind of uninvited sort of invited to this party this cocktail party with politicians and judges and he's just so overly confident with himself he walks up to a judge and starts talking about oh isn't it such a bummer to kill people because this judge will sentence criminals to death sometimes so he's commiserating commiserating is the word yes he's commiserating like oh i get it because i killed people you kill people we're the same yeah and the judge is obviously like really confused where do i i mean because doesn't really love that part so he walks away and then 
the conversation continues with the judge's wife where he cannot bruno can't talk about anything except for murder it turns out because he talks to the judge's wife about oh what's your what's your favorite way to murder someone how are you going to do it i didn't get your name mrs cunningham mrs cunningham how are you going to do it well i suppose i'll have to get a gun from somewhere oh no mrs cunningham bang 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 all over the place blood everywhere how about a little poison Oh, that's better. Just talking shop. (laughs) And she kind of thinks it's funny until he uh, goes into some weird trance seeing Barb and starts strangling the judge's wife. I feel like he got off pretty easy after that. I, I, yeah. (laughs) Um, I guess all you have to do is faint and people just give you a free pass. (laughs) Yeah. It was obviously a mistake. It's fine. <laughs> anyway, uh, still really well done and featured as you know some screen time of Barb, who is one of the greatest characters in the film because she has a lot of personality and a lot of interesting lines in the movie. Second only yeah. to Bruno, probably the psychopath. And she happens to be um, Alfred Hitchcock's daughter, Patricia Hitchcock. Yes, I guess her only movie that she did with her dad that to, you know, which was, I think what she said, it was a little disappointing, but he really was very particular about who he cast in certain roles. And she just happened to be exactly who he wanted for that role. Mm. She had some other like small, small parts, I think in either Psycho or The Bird, she was a secretary, but I don't think that she spoke much. Not as big roles. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, That kind of leads us into our favorite actor or actress in the film. And I might want to just start with a least favorite, actually. And that is Anne, uh, Guy's girlfriend. She is extremely beautiful. She is, you know, she has, she's very alluring. And she does end up, you know, helping Guy out in avoiding murder charges and everything. But mm-hmm. she was put in the project because some studio up or up, uppy up or whatever, wanted her in the film. It wasn't because Hitchcock handpicked her. In fact, he was so angry that she was put in the film that he didn't treat her very nicely on the set, which is actually. Yeah. But she didn't have a lot of good lines. She didn't have a lot of good scenes. She was a bit blah. Even yeah, she was kind of deadpan. Right. Even in the scenes that she did have. Barb, who is supposed to play her younger sister, steals the, gets gets the personality award of the two sisters. Yeah. I also have a least favorite, but not because she did a bad job. (laughs) But like, but Bruno's mom. Oh man. A little infuriating, even though she did an excellent job, like carrying out what she was supposed to do as an actress. But, oh, man, she was just, like, as a character, so (laughs) so frustrating. (laughs) Uh, So weak. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And very blind to whatever he was going. I'm sure she had some mental problems, too. Uh, I feel bad for Bruno's dad. (laughs) Just, like, I'm surrounded by crazy people. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. I I would put her up there. I'm not not a beloved character, but she did a great job in what she was supposed to do and really I guess 
that is how I feel about Bruno too. Didn't love him. Don't want to invite him over for dinner, but <laughs> had such a great job as being creepy and right. giving you the willies for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if that is a kind of like typecast that he was always the villain or if this is, if he was not usually the villain in films. Actually, he was, he's, he played some romantic leads and he was, he, I think he played some bad boys and some romantic leads and was just a regular guy. I watched some trailers with him in his other, some of his other films and he's not. So this is kind of outside the norm for him. It is. And sadly, after he played this role, not long after, I don't even know if it had, I think it was two months after he finished shooting, he died. From, oh, wow. He died from some medical complications with his uh, medication and also his drinking. And it was, a, it was a mistake and which is really sad because I don't think he even got to enjoy his, um, yeah, his fame for doing this role at all. Mm. that is sad and actually what's interesting about his character sorry (laughs) not a great transition from that but he worked really hard on this role and Hitchcock had a very clear vision of what he wanted Bruno to be and I think he handpicked this guy which is on another level also genius of Hitchcock to be able to see somebody who doesn't typically play these kinds of roles and know what he wants from them you know in a, in something that they've never done before he made him very very into his hands playing with his nails playing with his fingers rubbing them together mm-hmm. um, manicures from his mom and have some effeminate qualities to suggest but not all out um uh reference a uh, homosexual attraction between bruno and guy because that wasn't allowed in film back then but he definitely wanted to suggest that to say that Bruno was stalking Guy because he has he had an attraction for him. And it makes you wonder, was that meeting on the train a chance meeting or did he did he plan it from the beginning? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and he does he ends up at, at uh, Guy's house later on in the film. And so, like you said, you wonder if he had been following him around before the chance meeting on the train or if it's easy to figure out where people lived back then right another thing that they made uh that made bruno's character is he has a disregard for women especially women that with glasses which is an obvious is an obvious thing that they showcased in his character because miriam had glasses and killed her and Barb had glasses too, and that set him off and wanted and made him swoon. Glasses apparently in Hitchcock's in the theme of the movie that glasses were supposed to make women look invulnerable, and he liked more vulnerable women, like weaker women, like his mom. Like he was okay with that, but strong mm. women made him angry. Yeah, yeah, which is maybe why he gravitates towards the the older ladies at the parties and things that he shows up at that kind of represent uh, his mom a little bit more. Right. He feels intellectually superior. He feels like they're just silly or he, yeah, he feels like they're weak, like his mom. So a really good Hitchcock film. Uh, definitely recommend. 
I looked online to see what has been done since regarding this story because we are in the time of remakes as you know everything's being Mm -hmm. remade and this movie has been remade at least twice possibly in a in a tv show once but also more recently it was going to be remade in recent decades by ben affleck but it never got finished it just it just ended the project ended but there are a couple movies that I thought I would recommend if people are into this storyline, a chance meeting with a stranger and being blackmailed into murder. There's one that's made with Danny DeVito and Billy Crystal called Throw Mama from the Train. <laughs> <laughs> this movie is a comedy. It's a dark comedy, but it ends happy. And it's got <laughs> DeVito and Billy Crystal. So there, it's not the same kind of vibe as the um original but definitely plays on the original plot a little bit some the skeleton of the plot uh there is an one that was made in the 1960s called once you meet a stranger or no once you kiss a stranger there's a bit of gender swapping among the characters and it gives off these very strong colombo vibes with uh you following around the murderer and very cringy romance scenes and (laughs) just it just made you made me think of Columbo TV episodes a lot but um looks really creepy too so if you want to watch something more after after this if you're interested those are a couple recommendations <laughs> I wish the Ben Affleck one ended up being made I know I wonder if it will end up getting restarted because that would that would be fun um so that wraps up strangers on a train a great Alfred Hitchcock movie. And Lisa, you're in charge of next week's film. Do you want to give any subtle hints about what it could be? Um, sure. So it's going to be um, a little lighter, but <laughs> it's going to be an equally famous director, but different. And actually, yes, that different actually have an actor or two that Hitchcock might have worked with as well. There's another. Hit. Oh, right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to wait till next week till we announce what the movie is. Hopefully you enjoy Strangers on the Tree. See you next episode. See you next time.